0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Princeton University Press Ideas Podcast, a joint production of the Princeton University Press and the New Books Network. I'm Mark Clovis, and today I'm speaking with Hugh Powell and Jill Leichner, editors of the All About Birds Regional Field Guide series. Hugh, Jill, welcome to the New Books Network. Hi. Hey
1: there. Thanks.
0: I was, I was wondering if you could start us off by telling our listeners something about yourselves.
2: Uh, Do you want me to go first?
1: (laughs) Take it
2: away. Okay. Um, I've worked in publishing for about 35 years. I started out in children's books way back when, um, and then I moved on to editing scientific research. Um, I got my master's in science communication when I was living in New Zealand and studied yellow-eyed penguins there for my thesis. That's it for me. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And I, um, was brought up by a crazed birdwatcher dad and I've been watching birds my whole (laughs) life. And, um, I, uh, was a biology, excuse me. I was a biology major and, and did bird work in college and went to grad school and, um, studied black-backed woodpeckers in Montana. Um, and then, uh, went to a science writing program and, uh, and, then eventually came to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. So I've been a science writer and editor for about 20 years and at the Cornell Lab for about 13 or 14 years. And I'm the editor of the website, the All About Birds website that a lot of people use. About 24 million people a year actually come to that website and mainly get uh, bird information about birds in North America.
0: I was wondering if you could perhaps elaborate a bit, Hugh, upon the uh, Cornell Lab of Ornithology and what the website offers. And then perhaps if both of you could explain why it was that you decided to do a series of books about the uh, based upon the work that the lab does.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to introduce uh, All About Birds. It's my whole life, so I um, kind of assume that people are familiar. It is a very popular website um, that covers a little bit more than 600 species of birds that live in North America um, and gives information about um, how to identify them, uh, what how they live their lives, um, what their conservation needs are. Um, you can watch videos of them and listen to sounds that have been recorded of them that are um, provided by our Macaulay Library um, of Natural Sounds. Um, And it also has a section that includes magazine articles and and information about um, frequently asked questions and how to attract birds to your yard, how to become a better bird watcher. We basically try to make it sort of your one-stop site um, on the internet for um, learning about birds and learning about bird watching. And we really try to make it a welcoming uh, place where we can talk in language that you know you can understand and appreciate, but also help you get better and more involved in this wonderful hobby that we all love uh, of bird watching. Anything you want to add there, Jill?
2: No, I think you did a <laughs> fabulous job.
1: Um, so, but, so oh, go ahead, yeah. I would just say, why did we just if we have a website, why did we decide to make books? Um, and you know. There's a couple of good reasons, uh, but th- the main thing about this this series of books is that they're split out by region. Now, if you've ever picked up a, a, a field guide to the birds of North America, it's a big hefty thing, and it's got 700 species of birds in it. And so you, if you're a, a relatively new bird watcher, have a lot of work to do, a lot of mental work to, tr- to try to figure out what are the birds that are even in the running. If you see something outside your window or on a walk, which you know, which of the birds in your field guide could it possibly be? And it's a huge task. Um, So, you know, one of the best things uh, that we can do is just narrow that list down to, so each one of our guides has a little over 200 species in it. And those are the species that are most likely in your region at some point in the year. So it just makes it a lot easier to sort of narrow down which species of chickadee could it be. There's six or seven species of chickadees in North America, but in any one place, you've only got a couple Um, that you really need to worry about, you know, identifying. Um, And then the other thing about books is just that they're handy uh, physical objects that you can leave on a counter um, or by your window, and you can just page through them. Um, And just people don't tend to do that on websites, just flip through web pages and look at different species. But you can kind of go on these um, daydream kind of trips when you pick up a, a field guide and, and just imagine seeing the birds that are in those field guides and gradually learn about what's, what's out there around you with them. That's what we hope people do with this book or these books.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about, oh, go, actually, go ahead, Jill.
2: Yeah. I just wanted to add that um, the other great thing about these books is that um, for each species we've shown four different photos so that you can see what male and female birds look like, breeding, non-breeding, juvenile birds. And, you know, normally, um, uh, you know, when you're looking at a website, you're not always looking at all all the different versions of that bird that you could see. It's not all the different versions we had to pick and choose, but um, we tried to choose the ones that you'd most likely see at different times of the year, so... I think that's-
0: that, that was one of the things that, that struck me when i was uh going looking over the, the various books in the series is the way that it's pitched towards uh a, a, a very a, a focus on accessibility and and, and a focus on utility I, I was you know it's it's uh not and people might pick it up and see the cover and think this is a birding guide, but it's 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 so much more than that. And and you, you cover so many different aspects of the birding experience in terms of habitat, in terms of of, of attracting birds, uh, in terms of what people could do if they're if they want to do more to uh, help uh, you know the the survival of, of various uh, you know birds uh, in in their own community. Uh, it was. How does that inform sort of the the overall vision of what you're doing uh, with the books, and and to what degree is it tied to the mission of what the lab does and what the website does?
2: Well, I think I think the the cool thing about that is that um, it kind of breaks it down to your own backyard. What can you do in your own backyard in your own city to attract birds to make um, your your yard um more attractive to birds through gardening, through bird feeding, and other things like um, putting decals on your windows so they're not crashing into your windows, keeping your cats indoors, you know, all these things that um, the lab really likes people to become more aware of um, that protect birds. And so um, even you know how to build certain kinds of nest boxes to attract owls which can help with if you have a rodent problem, you know, things like that. So um, yeah, it's not just about the birds you see, it's about, you know, attracting more birds and yeah.
1: Yeah, so uh, just, I think it's great that you point out the mission of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology um, because that is something that sets it apart from a typical field guide. This isn't as in-depth in terms of identification, Um, as as an advanced field guide, but it is very much more about um, bird watching as as a part of your life and as a part of your sort of journey. That's something that inspires everybody here at the Cornell Lab um, is this ability to interpret the world by watching birds and learning about how we and how birds fit into the world Um, and so, and if you have a normal field guide, you will not find a section in the beginning of it that tells you things about, you know, the basic ways of learning how to identify a bird, the ways to bring them into your yard, the ways to make your home and your surrounding area safer for them. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, we, we really wanted to put that, that section in there because we really believe at the lab that. Once you start paying attention to the birds outside your window, it's going to draw you into a deeper appreciation of nature, and with that, usually comes a desire to to protect it and to and to make um make things better. and And so, we wanted to provide those resources as well in this in this guide for people who are just starting out.
0: That is one of the things that struck me because I, I I'm not a person who is familiar with birding. I you know, and, and you're right, those guides can oftentimes be very intimidating in terms of the degree of, of detail and and the fact that it just kind of throws you in. And that's one of the things I was really impressed by was I felt like you you were not just talking about the birds of a region, you were giving people some uh ideas as to how to become birders. And I, I thought that was was wonderfully accessible and, and, and really helped to open up the rest of the book when you're talking about the birds themselves. Yeah,
1: thanks. Thanks for noticing that.
0: <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> I was wondering, if you could perhaps, talk a bit about the division of labor. I, I, exactly, how was it that you uh, put this together? Uh, you know, to what degree you know you drew from the website, and 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 how was it that that you made the decisions as to how to go about organizing the book?
2: Um, well, I can speak to that. Uh, <laughs> at the very beginning, um, I consulted with a few people at the lab about what they would like to see in a a new regional set of field guides, and so we discussed whether or not we'd have illustrations, photos, you know, all those basic things, and they gave me their recommendations. And and then I actually um, ran through one of the first design iterations with them, and they gave me feedback, and so there was this back and forth with field field ornithologists at the lab, which was great. it was Jesse Barry and Ian Davies, and I really appreciated their feedback. Um, and then, um, then we started the design process. We had to acquire photos. I had an, a wonderful um, bird expert, Michael Redder, who helped me vet the photos. He, who knows way more about birds than I do. Um, and then. Um, So all the photos were vetted. And all our photos were sourced from the Macaulay Library, which is a resource at the lab. Um, It's like a citizen science collection of photographs that people send in of birds. And it's amazing. It's an amazing resource. Um, So I contacted photographers, asked them if I could use their photos. Um, the, The copy was from All About Birds, but we had to edit it um, to adjust to like what photos we actually show so that it matched the photos that are there and also edited it to fit. Um, And yeah, that's the basics. Yeah, (laughs) so
1: in terms of... I think you, what you're getting out of this is correct that, you know, in terms of division of labor, it was Jill that did all the labor. <laughs> she, she was the, you know, architect of this whole series. Um, I'm the editor of the website and I have spent since about 2008 working, uh, you know, at, as much as time allows on making this website Um into what it is and uh, providing the information that was then culled um, and sort of condensed and put onto the page for these books. So my um, work has been in the, you know, sort of in the, in the creating the, the resource online and Jill's work was in making these things turn into books that people can pick up.
0: Now it, it's pretty clear from uh, what the two of you described that you're both uh you know, very passionate about birds, and you're you avid bird watchers yourselves. And I, I was thinking that as I was I was reading through uh, some of the descriptions, that uh, that they they're that you know you you do justice to each bird and and you give them you know equal space to all their birds. I was wondering if you perhaps could identify uh, each of you. Uh, one of uh one or two of your favorites from from the various books uh, for example is there do you, you have a have a favorite bird in say california or is there a favorite bird uh, of the northeast or is there a bird in the other region that you uh were, maybe were particularly proud in terms of how you encapsulated all the the key details about their lives onto just a, a few pages um
2: you why don't you go first
1: uh, it's always dangerous to ask a birder about what their favorite <laughs> bird is because you know, you'll get a very long answer. I mean, the main answer is no, there's no favorite bird because they're just all so cool. And um, I mean, that's one of the really fun things about being able to, to divide this out into regional guides is you get to really, you know, think about what are the what are the real marquee birds or the things you really look forward to when you're in a different region. And, you know that's actually one of the great things about bird watching that has sustained me my whole life is that anytime you go anywhere new in the whole world there's always going to be some new kind of bird that's common there that you've never seen before um, and and it's just so exciting um, and uh, and that's true in the United States as well uh, so right now um, I'm I, I normally live back east but I'm living in Santa Cruz California right now because my wife is on some sabbatical. You guys guys, don't need to know that uh, personal history, but, um, but here I am in California. And so when I look through the California guide, uh, there's just so many great birds here. You know, there's, there's more than 500 species of birds have been reported from California and we had to pick, you know, just over 200 to put into the guide. Uh, But some of my favorites, I'd say um, acorn woodpecker is just, uh, just the most uh, sort of like just just fun and goofy woodpecker out there. It's kind of got a clown face if you look at it um, in the in the book. You'll you'll know what I mean. It's kind of got like red makeup and <clears throat> like white and black paint um, sort of on its uh, on its face and neck. And it has this crazy lifestyle where it um, they live in family groups, really complicated family groups, and they gather acorns. So instead of pecking into trees and trying to get bugs out. They do a little bit of that, but what they really do is they collect acorns and then they hammer them into trees and telephone poles and sometimes sides of people's houses. That's something people don't like so much about them. (laughs) Um, And they store tens of thousands of acorns, um, almost like squirrels, except for just way more high tech than the way squirrels hide acorns. Um, And they're just fascinating birds and really they're and all over towns, um, they're really conspicuous, really easy to see, um, and really fun birds. So that's one. And um, I'm going to let Jill go, but then I, I can I can keep going on my favorite birds in California <laughs> if you want
2: um, Well, what I love about the Northeast Guide is the... Um, what we tried to show as the warbler party that we have every spring. And um, there are 17 warblers in our Northeast guide. And um, if you live in the Northeast and you're a birder, spring is like a celebration of color and birds, you know, as they migrate, they're in the trees and they're just like bouncing all around the trees. And um, they migrate up through like Ithaca. And um sometimes you can go to a place, especially uh, at the bottom of Lake Ontario, there's a place called Braddock Bay where the birds pause and rest before they cross the Lake Ontario to Canada. And so um, if the weather's not so great and the wind's not in the right direction, they just settle into all the trees and it's like it's like Christmas. Um, and so we did put a lot of warblers in the Northeast because that's what people who, Enjoy birds, get excited about, especially in spring. Um, so,
1: yeah, and so maybe we can just tell folks because uh, some folks probably know this, but almost all of the warblers that live in the United States and in Canada are. they migrate to Central America and South America um, for the winter and spend a lot of their, actually a lot of the year there. And then they make these tremendous flights back um, sometimes going all the way up into Northern Canada. Um, And so what we get to see, um, particularly on the East coast, is just, just, it's a quirk of evolutionary history, but there's more warbler species in the East than in the West. Um, And you see these just, jewel-like, just brilliant orange and blue and yellow uh, warblers coming back um, through, and sometimes they're just passing through where you live, um, and they're headed to, to Canada. But for that brief period in the spring and in the fall, if if you're on their flight path, they're going to come through and you're going to you're going to get a chance to see them. So that's what Jill means by a warbler party, because it's just <laughs> a, a real fun time. <laughs> And of course, one of the nice things about your series is that you don't have to buy the
0: Northeast volume to learn about the Warblers if you're in their path, you, that you cover them in, say, your volume on the Southeast your, uh, and, and and any other volumes in which they happen to have a pretty
1: substantial presence. Yes. Yes.
2: There yeah, are so less- we've had to... Yeah,
1: we've had to pick and choose. There's like 50 species of warblers in North America, and, and you know, there's only 17 quote only 17 in the Northeast guide. So we've had to pick and choose. And there's some, you know, more southern warblers that will, are going to be in the Southeast guide, and some more northern ones in the Northeast. Um, and then there's some western species that we'll will cover. Um, but but yeah, uh, we're uh, we're celebrating warblers in in all these guides.
0: Is there a, a a bird that when you were putting together the volume that you, you found that maybe you in the process of assembling it you, you maybe learned something a little that you that you didn't previously know or <laughs> or maybe had, had had a misconception that because you weren't quite as familiar with it that you corrected as you were doing the research?
2: Well, I have a big one on that. <laughs> 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 so um, when we did you know when we did the regional guides we picked which birds were going to be in which guide and all of that and then I had this thought which was, oh, some birds look different on the east than they do in the west. Uh, Their plume, they actually, uh, their colors are more intense or less intense. Their markings are slightly different. And so Michael Redder and I discussed, well, these are regional guides. So we have to show that, which um, was a bit of a black hole because there were way more many birds that are different regionally in plumage than I expected at the start. Um, And so if you look at certain birds in the West guide, in the West, in like California or the Southwest, they will look different, even though it's the same bird, like a Cardinal um, in the East, Um, both forms appear in in, in in the Southwest. And so you'll see in the Southwest guide, there are two eastern forms and two western forms um, southwest forms and the southwest birds have bigger crests and a smaller mask um, the black mask is smaller or almost non-existent in the female and then the um, in the east the crests are smaller and um, their masks are bitter, bigger so those are in all the guides there are differences like that. I mean, you'd have to have two guides to compare, but if you're traveling to south, to the Southwest and you buy a Southwest guide, some of the same birds will look different.
0: Hmm. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time, but before we go, could you tell us what you're working on now?
2: Uh, well, um, I'm actually, I've moved into a different part of the lab. I'm working for the um, Bird Academy, which is our online courses. And I'm also working with Hugh on the All About Birds website.
1: Um, Yeah, we're doing a lot of work um, (laughs) on on different projects. You know, I do some um, writing for our magazine, and I'm about to write a cool story about this volcanic island off of Iceland that's being um, kind of is being replanted basically by uh, by gulls that are fly over and drop carry seeds with them and that that's the only way that plants are basically getting onto that island which is kind of fun because seagulls you know they get kind of a bad rap and people um you know kind of write them off but these these things are the kind of the architects of this brand new island that erupted only 50 or 60 years ago so that's a fun story to write um you know, and another thing that I want to mention uh, before we go um, that every that people at the lab are working really hard on is is our Merlin uh, Bird ID app, and in particular um, something that folks that pick up these guys might find really useful. Um, this this app this part of the app called Sound ID. And this is something people uh, have been wanting for their smartphones for um, for ages. Basically, ever since Shazam came out, where you could you know turn on your phone, it would listen to some piece of music that was playing, and it would tell you what song it was and what band it was. And people are like, why can't you do that with birds? And, and it turns out it's, it's just a massively complicated problem to try to do that with a, a live recording of a, of a real live singing bird. Um, but some folks at the lab cracked that uh, about a year or two ago. Um, and, and so we have this ability uh, with our, our Merlin app to, um, if you hear a bird singing, which is gonna be happening a lot now that it's springtime, it can listen, filter out the environmental noise or sometimes filter out more than one bird singing at a time and tell you what that bird most likely is. Um, And so there's actually a section about Merlin bird ID um in our uh in our regional guide. So if you pick up a copy of it, um, it'll help you get over and get a copy of of Merlin um, for your phone. And then those two will work really nicely hand in hand because um, if you go on a walk, you know, one of the challenges, for instance, with with warblers coming back in spring is that they're up in the tops of the trees, that maybe they're hard to see um, and they're singing their heads off. So you can actually, you know, use a sound ID feature to get an idea of what bird is up there. And then you can look at your regional guide and figure out, um, you know, what does it look like? What kind, you know, where is it most likely to be? And, um, and, and really just zero in on the birds that you want to see. Um, so that's something that, again, I can't take credit for it, but all of us at the lab are working in some respect or another in trying to um, get more and more people using Merlin.
0: It sounds like a great way of enhancing the experience of the book and just demonstrates the complementary nature of it. I mean, if you're a fan of the site, read the books, and if you read the books, you should definitely check out the site.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Well, Hugh and Jill, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedules to speak with me today. I hope
1: you have a wonderful day. You're welcome. Thank you very Thank you very much for having us.